Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good afternoon, my friends. This is John Grace and Daniel Medina, my co-host here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. And yes, we like to make some clarity out of the clouds, right? To get a sense of what's going on, what does it mean to you, and how might you participate? We, In particular, we like planning for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. In fact, our registered trademark is the proof is in the planning. So for us, it's all about planning. It's all about looking at what could happen, whether you call it good news or fake news or bad news. It doesn't matter how you judge it. What matters is can you bounce back from whatever it is? You might feel good about it, but we want you to survive and thrive because so many of us are just not prepared for the next storm. So we'll talk about how to prepare your portfolio so that it is weathered for the next storm, no matter what it might happen. And we want to also look at what's going on in life and what's going on in the markets and to see some of these things that are coming down the pike. Uh, again, good news, bad news. But as I say, you, you what we want for you is to be able to be on the news, not to be talked about on the news. So that way you can tell your own story about uh, what's going on and how you are surviving and thriving. So as we are fond of doing, uh, we look at the uh, indexes on a year-to-date basis. So that's from January through today to help you see what's what's happening with the markets. Because when we look at the news, they only report what happened daily. And you really can't get a sense of where the direction is or what the trends are, because it's by every nanosecond, right? Uh, so we like to look at it on an annual basis or yearly basis or year-to-date basis so that you can get a better perspective. And we also, by the way, do pay uh, for research, unlike uh, I think many of our peers in the country, and that gives us a, a broader perspective with which to look at things, to uh, be able to distinguish between fact and fiction, and to be able to see that, for example, it, in many cases, it's uh, looking at demographics, studying those demographics. And, and that simply means looking at the buying and selling behavior of different items of Americans based on age. It's vastly different than just looking at sales, which I think so many of us get stuck in. Uh, we dive in the weeds of looking at the sales, and then we project that this is just going to continue, whichever tra- trajectory it might be tapping at that time. This is just going to continue forever. Well, looking at sales does not give you an indication of whether or not there are people who are going to be in line to buy what it is you have to sell. Or just because you think it's pot doesn't mean that uh, the majority of people think it's hot. And we're going to say, when you look at this kind of behavior, you want to look at it from uh, in two ways. here's what you want to avoid. Do not look at it primarily from the lens of who you are and where you are and what your friends are doing. You probably are better educated than the average American. You probably make more money than the average American. So if you're only looking at your friends and your relatives who, for the most part, are outliers above average, 
your perspective is going to be skewed. So we're going to suggest that you make that the second step. The first step is to look at the average of what ordinary Americans are doing. Look at the Homer Simpsons of the world. Okay, look at the election. Notice it was the Midwest, not the coast, not the rich areas that dictated who was going to become president as opposed to thinking, well, this is how my friends are voting, so that must be how everybody's voting. That's not how it works. And again, if you look at just the people you know, you're going to get a skewed perspective and it's probably going to be out of whack. So we see a reversal relative to last year in terms of what's doing really well and what isn't. Uh, last year, as you recall, clearly it was the NASDAQ that was take, hitting the ball out of the park uh, straight to the moon. This year so far, we see that the S&P happens to be up almost 3% today. That's a big hit. And for the year, it's up 13.5%. That's a huge run from January 1 through March 24th. Now, the market hasn't closed today. It will close in less than an hour. And sometimes these numbers do surprise us at the closing because they just reversed themselves. But 13.5%, that's a remarkable number. Uh, when we look at the S&P 500, again, that's probably a better indicator of what the markets are doing or what the economy is doing, because this is more along the lines of uh, a variety of stocks, it's, it's 500. Uh, and what we see is that the S&P 500 is up about four and a half percent. Notice instead of being up 3% for the day, it is up 0.12. Okay, that's 11 to 12 basis points as we speak. And then the NASDAQ, now notice it is off 1.23% so far today. The Dow, again, is up 3%, and the NASDAQ is off 1%, over 1%. That's remarkable. That's unusual. So year-to-date, the NASDAQ is up a whopping 1.92%. In fact, over the last five days, the change has been to the negative nearly 3%, 2.88%. Now, why this is important is because we may, stay tuned, who knows, right, film at 11, but we may be repeating the kind of environment that we experienced in the early 2000s. And that's when, you know, if you went from 90, 1995 to 1999, NASDAQ uh, quadrupled, quadrupled, as I recall. Uh, the Dow and the S&P in a five-year period, same five-year period, double. You'll take any of those numbers. But remember, starting around February, as I recall, 2000, that's when the wheels came off the wagon. And in about 30 months' time, the NASDAQ was off nearly 80% or about 80%. Could we see that happening again? And, and again, this is uh, part of what we saw then, and I, it, it may be what we're seeing now, is it was the smaller companies, the dot-coms, that were turning uh, south, if you will. And then it was the larger companies, and then it was the whole index. So this often does, just doesn't happen in one day. It happens in segments, if you will, and then momentum is developed, and the whole house of cards comes crashing down. So that, that, that's what we want to keep our eye on, and the things that we're going to cover uh, with you today is uh, some good news by the IRS, and there's a caveat. We'll, we'll talk about what that is. Then we want to look at what rising interest rates might mean for the housing market, and we want to really talk about what's happening and what maybe should be happening for more people to prepare for retirement. Apparently, only 64% of Americans or 64% of Americans aren't prepared for retirement. So that means what, 26, 36% of us, one out, one out of 10, 
uh, three out of 10, I'm sorry, 36% are, are, haven't done anything. Well, so we will certainly want to fix that as best we can. But I think it's also appropriate for us to look at what's going on. And, and the, the, the elephant in the room right now are these mass shootings, okay? Uh, and I have to tell you, that I was in um, Austin the last time of 2018. That was a year or so after the Las Vegas shooting. And, and coming up to date, I, was to, I, I hadn't looked in a while. So I'm shocked to see that there were 61 people killed, including the perpetrator and two victims who died in 2019 and, and 2020. There were 867 people injured, 411 by gunfire. Um, and so that's just a travesty in these United States. And it seems as though it's happening over and over again. So what we wanna look at is, is what might be the pattern that most people aren't recognizing. And here's the one, here's one of the ones that's scary. Uh, the, the, over the last eight days or so, uh, there have been seven mass shootings in the United States. Now I believe the definition of a mass shooting is any number over, over four. So <clears throat> we had Eight people, including the six Asian women, were killed by a white gunman who stormed three spas on March 16th. The next day in Stockton, California, we had five people who were preparing a vigil in Stockton in the Central Valley. They were shot in a drive-by shooting. The very next day, March 18th in Gresham, Oregon, four victims were taken to the hospital after a shooting in the, east, uh, the city east of Portland. And then the very next day, there were one, two, three. Can you believe that? Three mass shootings in one day in America. First one, Houston, five people were shot after a disturbance inside a club. Uh, the, uh, in Dallas, eight people were shot by the, an unknown assailant, one of whom died. Philadelphia, again, this is all March 20th. One person was killed and another five were injured doing a shooting at an illegal party. And then just two days later, in um, Boulder, Colorado, we have 10 people, including a Boulder police officer, who were killed in trying to get to the market. I mean, what, where can we go? You can't go to church. You can't go to a concert in Vegas. Uh, you can't go to school. You can't go to this market. Where can you go? So when I'm looking at this from the standpoint of who's doing all of this damage, and, and it's quite shocking because uh, the way I put it before some friends of mine back in, as I say, 2018 in Austin, Texas, I said, well, what do the mass shooters, the, um, the White House interns at the time, and the, and the uh, administration have in common? Now, these were primarily males from around the country. And uh, nobody had an answer. And I said, well, I, I have the correct answer for you. They're primarily white men. And they're like, are you sure? I said, well, let me make it really clear for you. If they were people from the NFL, would you notice? I bet you would. If they were people from Japan, I bet you would be observant. If they were from Chile, if they were any place else other than the country, you would be vigilant. You'd be mad as hell. And then when you look back, what we find is the uh, ethnicity of most of the mass shootings between 1982 and March of 2021, 66% happened to be white and overwhelmingly male. 21% black, 10% Latino, 8% Asian, five unknown, 5% unknown, nine of unknown, unclear Native American, and, and maybe Native American, all of 3%. And this comes from Statista.
So what we're seeing here, folks, is this is an inside job. <laughs> and I'm sorry, we just have too many damn guns in our country. Okay, let's just be honest. We, we can talk about um, mental health as though we're actually going to address that, and I don't think we will. But here's what I do know. We're all getting older. We're all getting, well, many of us are not getting smarter. We're getting crazier than ever. And COVID probably didn't help, but maybe the opening now gives people a feeling that we can just go out for any reason whatsoever, get my AK-47, my AR-15, and just go out and murder people because I'm having a bad day. I'm sorry, stop it. Uh, you know, this is a Congresswoman Shire Spire says that uh, 40% of the guns in the world are in the U.S. No other country is operating like this. Now you can take the amendments as you like, but I'm sorry, this is a whole new environment. The, the, it, we're not getting healthier in many cases, we're getting more ill. And if I have an, the ability to put my hands on a gun, guess what? I can just take out as many people as I possibly can before I'm taken away or before I'm taken out. But if no matter how ill I might be, if it weren't so darn easy to get my hands on a gun, particularly one that is only used primarily to kill fellow Americans, I, I need to be, you know, I really need to be just taken away, all right? And, and from what I understand, the last two shootings, Atlanta, I believe the gun was purchased on that day. Boulder, if I'm not mistaken, the gun was purchased just a week before. So these folks are thinking along these lines. And I have to imagine the more we see the evidence of these kinds of events unfolding right before our very eyes, we want to wring our hands and, and cry and go to church and pray. It, I'm sorry, we're not addressing the problem. And to address the problem, it, it's going to require doing what other countries have done. And that is we, the people who are the voters who put these these. Uh, our legislators, our law people in office, we need to tell them we have had enough. We do not need any more of this to happen here, and you need to vote accordingly, or we will replace you with those who will vote the way we want them to vote, as opposed to whatever the heck you're thinking, you are not serving us. So I think that's an important conversation we should be having in, in this country, and we really should be looking at what are our priorities and how many more deaths do there, does, does there need to have happen before we wake up from our stupor and just... Uh, discover we're at another funeral. And, and let's just be really clear. If this were something that had happened to any one of us in our families, I'm sure we would be crystal clear for at least the majority of us would that we've, we've got to do something to be able to stop this. And Andrew McCabe said uh, just the other night on CNN, you know, when he was asked, what's going to stop this? He said, absolutely nothing. Now, that's the former FBI director. <laughs> if he doesn't have a clue, I don't know who does. But if, if, if nothing's going to stop this, then we need to be making some, drawing some lines in the sand and saying enough is enough to our, to our lawmakers. And this, these need to be laws that um, will be national laws, not state by state. Don't pick and choose because, you know, I can drive from this state to another state and buy all the guns I want to fill up my U-Haul and then come back and do all the damage I, 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 that sounds like it's, uh, I don't know what you call it, fun. I don't know what you call it. I don't know. I don't want to be in the minds of those people because I don't want to spend any time there. So I think that's very important. Um, and what are your thoughts, Daniel? Uh, <clears throat> I agree with you. I agree with you on the gun on the gun comment, there's <clears throat> far too many guns in this country. I don't, I'm sure that's not the only factor, but <clears throat> that's the one we can control easier. There's mental health is a huge problem in, in the country and just 
it's I'm sure that's that's a big factor, but from from a governing standpoint, it's much harder to control mental health than it is to control guns. And there's just there's there's too much of a gun culture here in this country. They're too yeah. easy to get and they're too glorified. <laughs> yeah, they are too easy to get. And then and you know what what is it? The uh the Carolina rule? If they we don't come back with a report on you in the state if, in three days, then you get to buy a gun. <laughs> that's kind of crazy. Three days, well, you know, I may fall through the cracks and then I'm off and running. So we need to have background checks and certainly we need to uh, dislaw these crazy rifles that I don't know what they're good for unless it's war. And, and why are we committing war on each other as fellow Americans? And, and again, let's just notice, I mean, I'm, I'm just pointing out what is uh, one of the things people are afraid to talk about. These primarily are, are Caucasian men uh, of various ages. Uh, primarily, not all, but primarily. And I mean, that's an inside job. These aren't people from Afghanistan. These aren't people from Mexico. These are our neighbors <laughs> who are going crazier and crazier. So we're going to have to take a quick break. We'll be right back and we'll get into uh, what the IRS has decided to do in terms of uh, filing taxes. But we want to make sure you understand the caveat relative to where you live. So we'll be right back. Please sit tight. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. 
Welcome back, folks. So glad you could spend some time with Daniel Medina and myself, John Grace, here at Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. We uh, talked about our standpoint as far as uh, the as far as I'm concerned. There's just uh, we have nearly as many guns as we have adults. No other country operates like that. So I I think it's time for us to play a different game. Uh, but we're going to change the subject and look at this filing deadline, and then we'll look at uh, what's going on in the housing market. And I'm going to ask Daniel to to cover that primarily because uh, we met 2005, uh, as I recall, and he was working for a company that was actually subleasing from us uh, that did uh, mortgages and also did uh, the real estate. So that's his background right after college from Cal Lutheran University. And we'll ask him to lead off on what are what can we see going on with these rising mortgage rates and how might that affect the housing market, both short term and long. But right now, the good news is that the IRS, you may have heard, has delayed the tax filing by a full month. And there is one caveat, and what we're saying is the caveat is you want to make sure you know what state you live in and you know what laws your state has for filing, because just because the IRS decides they're going to delay the deadline of filing by a full month doesn't mean that your state will follow suit. Now, many of them do most of the time, but again, it's something you want, do not assume, right? We know what happens when we do that. So uh, pay attention to your state filings. And I believe that uh, California has followed the lead of the IRS by also extending the tax deadline by uh, a full month. And the IRS apparently has received more than 55 million tax returns. So a lot of us have already filed and um, we're looking forward to hopefully getting a refund. And, and the funny thing about refunds is that means you paid too much in the way of taxes. So it's not like it's extra money. Uh, you paid more than you were supposed to pay. And now that's where the refund comes from. So it's not like it was, uh, it was found money. But Daniel, uh, what did you find in terms of uh, how COVID has uh, impacted the IRS? Uh, they've, been, <clears throat> they've been very busy. They've been doing a lot. So they're they pushed the de- 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 tax deadline back last year, pushed the tax deadline back this year. And if I remember this correctly, they've actually received less um, returns this point in the year than they did last year. Hmm. Well, so we say that's the good news. And then this is interesting news. This comes from Bloomberg and the, that 20% of the wealthiest Americans income isn't being reported to the Internal Revenue Service, according to a new study. Uh, And in fact, if the IRS were to collect all of the unpaid income tax from our wonderful top 1%, that alone would boost revenue to the US Treasury by by $175 billion a year. (laughs) You can pay for a lot of stuff with $175 billion a year. So it appears as though, you know, when with many forms of income, whether it's wages, for example, they're automatically reported to the IRS and easily uncovered in a basic audit. But the profits of private businesses and complex investment partnerships are harder to track. Um, and, and then since 2010, the IRS enforcement personnel report that they lost 15,000 personnel, people to work for the IRS. So what they need right now are uh, audit rates for high income taxpayers, which have tumbled in the past decade because the IRS has lost key staff that will examine the returns of, uh, of wealthy individuals. But wait, there's more. The top 100% saw their net worth rise by 
trillion dollars in 2020, capturing more than a third of all new wealth. And that, again, is according to data from the Federal Reserve released just last Friday. Meanwhile, the net worth of the poorest half of U.S. households rose a whopping $471 billion, which is approximately 4% of last year's overall gain. So it is the case that the rich got richer, and as uh, one of our uh, physician uh, doctors puts the, his experience, the poor get children. <laughs> well, that used to be the case, but that's, that's not happening so much anymore either. But I'm for hiring more IRS personnel. I'm certainly ha- uh, down for uh, enjoying that boost in revenue for $175 billion a year. Uh, these folks should pay their fair share like the rest of us do. And I'm, I'm glad the 20, the more than 20% of the wealthiest you know, are doing so well, but they need to report all of that income so that they pay the tax that is due like the rest of us get to do. All right, Daniel, so let's talk about rising mortgage rates. What do you see that meaning for the housing market? That's a great question. Um, Typically, rising income mortgage rates is a a good sign for the economy that things are are improving, things are getting better. Um, We've seen for the third week in a row, rates go up and they averaged 3.09 last week. And about three weeks ago, they were about 2.5%. So it's a significant increase over the last few weeks. This is one of the things that we're gonna watch pretty closely always, particularly because most Americans have the bulk of their wealth in their house. So if that's where the bulk of their wealth is, where the value of real estate is makes a huge difference. And for most Americans, a lot of their, a big part of their plan is selling their house and living off of that or not having, not having a mortgage and living off of social security and whatever else they've saved. Um, so looking at, at what rising interest rate means for the for real estate market, typically that would be a bad thing. So when rates go up, that means your payments, your affordability goes goes down. As rates go up, your 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 interest payments go up, and you can't afford as much. So whereas you might have been able to afford a half a million dollar home two months ago, today you wouldn't you might not be able to with the rates up uh, almost six point six percent. Well, and you know, no. it's, in, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Joe. Okay, so you're, you're talking about affordability. That's what's important here. There's a number of things that we should cover. I mean, when you look at uh, cities, this is early 2019 from uh, Cleaver that shows uh, price to income in Toledo, Ohio is about 2.14%. Now, that's not much different than, uh, in fact, I was just looking at the San Fernando Valley for an article that I have to write, where the income in 1970 was approximately 9870, if I'm not mistaken, is the is the exact number. But let's round up to $10,000, and the average home price in California was $24,000. Well, that's 2.4 to one. Okay, 2.2, almost two and a half times your income, you could buy a house. When we look at California, remember again, Toledo's 2.14 hasn't changed. The needle has not changed there. But when you get out to California, we see uh, price to income ratios higher than we see in Honolulu. In fact, in San Fernando Valley, I believe the median income last time I looked last week, 71000 and the price of the average home is at an all-time high, 740000 So that math is not hard. That's over a 10 to 1 
requirement to, to buy the house. So you have, you have to make 10 times as much, okay? Uh, and in San Jose, it's 9.7. Again, these are 2019 numbers, so I bet they're all north of 10. Hawaii's uh, just a bit above eight. San Francisco's at 8.8. .8, Los Angeles is 8.9. Uh, it, it really, it's, it's gotten out of whack. Now, the, the, if we look back historically, because most of us don't, as I say, in America, we seem to repeat history more than we learn from it. But what I find interesting is that if we were to talk to boomers and, and uh, back in the early 80s when they were standing in line, when we were standing in line to buy a house at 16% and we were delighted to do it, nobody could have told you that you were going to see 3%, let alone where did we get down to, Daniel, last year, maybe two and a half in the third, fourth quarter of uh, 2020. So and a half is as lowest that I saw. Yeah, that's as low as I saw too. So now we're a little bit above three and probably, I mean, now the concern is inflation going on or rising uh, rates going on. So we'll see uh, where this gets to. But one of the other things I want to point out is notice when interest rates were at 16%, people were literally standing in line to buy a house all through the 80s. Here we are at 3% money and, um, you know, People will talk about inventory, and that is part of the equation, but you just don't see lines of people waiting for a new home development to, say, for sale for them to stand in line and, 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 and buy these houses. So we want to make sure we, we see what's going on as opposed to uh, imagining that, you know, the good old times are coming back and things are going to be the way they were. Let's also recognize that boomers are way fond of their McMansions than are their children and grandchildren. So it may be the case that prices have to make an adjustment. I don't mean upwards, I mean downward for the millennials and the other children uh, to be interested in buying a house. And let's also understand that the folks behind the boomers don't have the same appetite for working 80 hours a week or doing whatever it takes to own a great night, a beautiful home in the suburbs and drive back and forth to the city to make the money to bring to the house to take care of the house. And then you go back to work. <laughs> Children are saying, you must be out of your mind. I don't want any part of that equation. So as I say, we want to make sure you look to see how things are going as opposed to believing that you, 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 you understand everything. You have to keep looking. We have to keep uh, being vigilant. And, and part of what we're talking about too is that wages, that's what we're talking about, uh, ratio to income, has have not kept pace with home price growth. And it's putting a dent in the housing market right now. By the way, wages have not kept pace with college education costs or healthcare uh, along with real estate. So while we talk about you know, the um, high that the Americans are enjoying the highest income ever, it's not sufficient to keep pace with the buying that would be the power that would be necessary to buy the same goods and services at the same ratio that we bought them. Like I say, was it 50 years ago, uh, 1970, uh, $10,000 a year. And, and, and this came, comes from uh, Forbes to suggest that 90% of Americans were financially better off in the early 70s than they are today. So for folks who are having this feeling that things aren't as good as they used to be, guess what? You're not crazy. 
<laughs> you're not imagining anything. You are calling it the way it is. And that's why it's helpful to put your, you know, get a hold of some, some of the data so that you can compare to see am I correct or am I incorrect? It's the data that helps you really gauge. Am I looking at this through the lens that the telescope was made for me to see? Or am I looking at it backwards? <laughs> so I'm not going to see what I'm supposed to see because I'm looking through the instrument in the wrong way. What else do you have uh, in terms of the housing market? Anything? Well, there's a couple other moving parts. So one of them is inventory, which is at an all-time low and significantly lower than it was um, this time last year. Yes. And there's 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 many there's probably many reasons for it, but I think the the biggest the biggest one is um, because rates have been so low more people refinance their mortgage, which makes it less attractive to, to sell their house or to move somewhere else. So they, they get more sticky. Yes. And what gets interesting here, folks, is something we've talked about before. But again, you're not hearing this, so we're happy to repeat it. And that is two parts to the puzzle. Uh, Americans typically, when boomers were standing in line, they were on average 31 years old in their early 80s. And then 31 happens to be, guess what, the age at which most Americans historically have purchased their first home. 41 is the age that most Americans buy their biggest home. And I, I know what happened with us. It's like, you've got all these people, all these friends and, you know, people coming in and out of the house, we need more room. And then they go off to college, you know, like, oh my God, what am I doing with this big house and all these expenses? So 78 is the next one to watch. And remember, Boomers are now 57 to 75 in 2021. 78 is the age to watch for two in two ways. One, that's the age the Census Bureau declares happens to be when people typically sell. Hmm. So they're sticking on to the house as long as they possibly can, but they're coming out of that house, either on their own, under their own uh, foot, you know, by foot, or it's going to be on stretcher, but they're coming out. Why? Well, 78 also, guess what, is the age at which the Census Bureau just last month declared that life expectancy has been reduced by a full year in America from 79 in 2019 to 78 in 2020, a full year. Uh, they went on to say that this is the first time that event has happened since the 1940s. Please notice simultaneously, like I say, it, I think it's healthy to look at where other countries are. Canada, the UK, and uh, Japan are all north of 80 average life expectancy. The US has moved back down to 79. So when we talk about uh, making America great, uh, let's just understand that uh, some things are happening right before our very eyes that are going to make that really quite a challenge. And again, as we've shared before, globally, this is not unusual where we see for the first time, this is unprecedented, there are more people uh, 65 and older in the world than there are five and younger. So let's just recognize for those of us who bought those PF flyers we still might have, we might want to dust those off, but they're not going to they did back in when you were 12 or 15. Uh, you're in a different ballpark now. It's a whole different world. So I think we need to make those adjustments and make sure that we're seeing what's actually happening here as opposed to what we might imagine. 
So we want to, uh, before we go to our break, I just want you to know that uh, Daniel and I are doing real good work, in our opinion, providing free financial planning services to all essential workers is our way of saying thanks in a very sincere way. We'll sit with essential workers uh, for 90 minutes in office or in on Zoom and put together their financial plan. How much money are you going to need to make work optional? What happens in the event a breadwinner predeceases the the other breadwinner, regardless of marriage, makes no difference. You're used to that other person's income. And if they go to heaven, you're, you used to have four hands to keep all this stuff and these people going. Now you have two. Well, you're going to need some money to make up for the difference. How much does that need to be so you can miss them but not miss their money? And then if they have children, how can we make sure everybody comes to the graduation and we're all crying, but is it more finish line or is it because we know no one parents the kids have any debt that they have to carry for this education so we'll we'll leave it there and we'll be right back after a short break please stay with us Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. 
Welcome back, folks. So glad you could spend some time with us. This is John Grace and my cohort in crime here at uh, Voice America on Fiscal Fitness. It's uh, Daniel Medina. And we like talking about what's going on, but also what it does it mean to you. And, and sometimes we can see both the problem as well as the solution. So what we see as the problem right now is in this report, 64%, that's almost seven out of 10, aren't prepared for retirement. Now, I mean, you know, I, I, I understand it. I, I, we'd like to make it, uh, instead of being 36% of people prepared, we'd love to see it north of 70, 80%, okay? We want everyone to be prepared because let's be honest, at some point you are going to not be working. And many times the uh, demarcation line happens when you least expect it. It's a health event for yourself or someone in the family and you expect it to work till fill in the blank age, but some kind of event gets in the way, life gets in the way, and now both of you or one of you has to come home and all bets are off. So what we want to do is make sure people are prepared to retire with dignity on their terms and in their time frame. But 64% of us aren't prepared at all. And I guess we're just too busy. But let's also be honest in this regard. When it comes to planning a wedding or a vacation, how much time do we spend? All the time it takes so if we have the you know, excitement of planning that kind of a goal and seeing it come to fruition, we think we should take the same attitude by planning our financial, doing a financial plan so that we can see what does it take to make work optional? Was it 62, 65, 70? We don't care what it is, but what we want is for you to know how much money you're going to need behind door number one so that you can make work optional from that age until you no longer want to be on this great earth. As I say, we, we do financial planning for uh, frontline workers. And one example we can serve is that uh, we've got a couple, she's making about 60,000. He's making about 40,000. We'll round over to uh, 100,000. They're in their mid thirties. We account for what they can expect from any pensions, what they think they're going to expect from social security, make sure we review those numbers annually so that we don't miscalculate. And then they decided to put off retirement until age 70 because that's when they max out their social security benefits. That makes sense. So we're solving for the difference. In other words, what's the difference in the tomorrow dollars at 70 to get the equivalent of the spending power of $100,000? And in their case, that target becomes $2.6 million. And at that point in time, that would provide the, at a 4% withdrawal, the equivalent of $100,000 in 2021 dollars, plus a small pension and social security, they're good to go. And then of course we wanna see what we can do to keep this ball in the air for the next 20 or 30 years. But Daniel, what do you think the government could do to make the whole job easier, particularly for minorities, which have very little at stake when it comes to resources and assets under management? Well, I think auto, auto enrollment is a great start. It's one of those things that we're, we're, I'm a big advocate of. Um, it makes it a little harder to, to not participate in the plan when you actually have to go in and actually physically opt out of, of saving. Um, auto increases in contribution make a big difference too. That's when increases are, are automatically built into your retirement savings, say 1% every year. So you start at 3%, the next year goes to 4% and then 5%. And then it usually tops out somewhere probably 10%. That's a great way to kind of start it too. And this is a trend that we're seeing um, in states and now federal government. So it's it's really, the, these, are, these are some big steps that are gonna help, I think a lot 
in for people saving for for retirement, particularly minorities. And what's it called in California? CalPERS. Cal, Cal Savers. Cal Savers. Thank you. So explain how that one works. That's relatively in, new. In Cal Savers, um, over the next two years now, because it started last year, companies with uh, this year it's over fifty employees are going to be required to have some form of retirement plan whether it's a 401k or they participate in the state's Cal Savers plan, which is essentially a Roth IRA um, with auto enrollment and auto increases in, in, in contributions, um, they're going to have to participate. Next year, it's with uh, for companies with um, employees of five or more. And if they don't, then there's going to be a penalty per employee that they have. Mm. Okay. So it appears as though only half of Americans are participating in a work place retirement plan, which is really startling. It's a startling statistic considering how much of the responsibility for funding and an adequate retirement is 100% on you, 100% on you. There, there are no more real pensions, right? Uh, there are no more deferred comps. It's all your responsibility, and they're, and they're saying you have to figure this out. And, and as we talked about before a couple of shows ago, you know, it, it's all about how much time you have to collect what you need. And in fact, we looked at uh, one suggestion, and that is that we have a government-funded program where at birth, the government sets aside 100 bucks a month for each person who arrives here in these United States, right? And then now that's maybe 80 years of contributions. And I think, was it, isn't that right, Daniel? It was approximately 100 bucks a month for 80 years. I think it was $65,000 as a total contribution. But at 7% by age 80, the the total was $4.5 million, if I'm not mistaken. It was a, it was quite a large number, certainly much larger than most of us need. But it just goes to show you how by taking time to your advantage, what kind of difference it can make. And, and on the other side of the equation, most of us wake up and smell the coffee and say, oh, I need to start in my 40s. That seems to be the age at which people kind of recognize I need to do something. But now you've only had 20 years of contributions. And at 100 bucks a month, that might amount to a whopping $12,000, which at 7% over that 20-year period may become, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in the neighborhood of $50,000. Certainly $50,000 is not much to wet your whistle, let alone live off of, as opposed to $4.5 million. So everything we can do to use time is our advantage, we think would be an, an improvement and allow more of us to become financial independent as opposed to just the rich. And, and so keep your eyes open for, this is called the SECURE Act 2.0, and it is the latest legislative proposal aimed at fixing retirement security for all Americans, not just the rich. And, 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 and just, let me say that we are very blessed uh, here at Investors Advantage in that we work with uh, households where the income is amazingly $40,000 a year. And then on the other end of the, extra, uh, the spectrum, we have people who are amazingly making over a million dollars a year. So we get to see a lot of situations. Uh, we're not stuck in one lane. Uh, we want everybody to be better off and we want everybody we have the pleasure to work with as best we can to help them see what needs to happen for them to get to a place where they can make work optional and then keep it in that spot where you can make work optional. And by the way, this provision is uh, would affect uh, 403B plans for those who work for nonprofit organizations uh, as well. And it isn't a new concept. I believe it was Richard Thaler He's a 2018 Economics Nobel Prize winner, has advocated for the expansion of auto enrollment and auto escalation in work savings places accounts in 
more than 10 years, where he's worked in behavioral economics. So notice is the combination that we start the contributions as early as possible, and then we get the level to be where it needs to be. In other words, many people will work at a job, they take the 401k, the employer's providing a 3% match, and that's all they contribute. They, their attitude is, I'll take all the free money. But it's not enough money. <laughs> you, you, you need to determine what kind of contributions you need to make. Going back to our couple, million bucks, they need 2.5, 2.6. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was $15,000 a year that they needed to contribute over that 30, 35-year period. And then that means about $1,300 a month, then it means 7% return. So you see what I'm saying. We, we can plan these vacations. We know which airport to get to, to arrive, to depart on time and arrive safely in the airport of our location that we're trying to get to. Well, the same kind of work happens here in terms of, well, this is where we are. How, how do we need to get, what do we need to do to get where we want to go? And let's make sure we're evaluating how we're doing relative to where we are and, and where we want to be. Do we need to increase withdrawals, decrease withdrawals? Is it going to be more time working, less time working? All of those contingencies you want to put in the equation. Again, no different than when you're looking at putting together a vacation. You're, you're looking at all the pieces of the puzzle because you want to have a good time and come back and tell a good story. So we're hopeful that there will be more states, if not the federal government, that uh, does set up uh, auto enrollment and all, and as I say, auto escalation abilities so that maybe you start at 3%, but every year you adjust upwards 1% or 2% because many people find when they do this, they just don't see much of a difference in their take-home pay. In their mind, it seems huge, but in reality, it's not so much. But when they see these account balances growing over time, I have to tell you, it's very satisfying to them. So it's very satisfying to us to be there with them when they're trying to get uh, these jobs done. And, and it it's, 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 it's feels real good to um, make sure that people are going to have enough money so that they can make work optional because we all know Social Security is not going to be enough, assuming it survives. We think that is likely, but you need to have a backup plan. And that includes those with pensions. You need to have a, a backup plan. So uh, what else did you see with, with this that you like, Daniel? Well, actually, John, I want to go back to the mortgage thing because there's something we left out before we close. Okay. And it's, kind of, it's kind of a big deal. And yeah. I know I, I missed this last week, but there's now a first-time homebuyer uh, tax credit. Oh, yeah. And it's $15,000 for people that purchase a new home. And that's a tax credit. And that's, that's actually a big incentive for, for first-time homebuyers. Well, and let's see, there's another side of that coin because I remember us moving in that direction. Was it about 2008, 2009, where uh, it wasn't a tax credit, but it was very low interest rates, um, which uh, had much the same uh, in encouragement for people to step up and buy a house. I'm just saying that notice, sometimes these things come to pass when the market is moving against us. So we get excited, we put our money down, we get all ready to enjoy the you know the joys of home ownership, which of course are endless. And then we discover that, uh, oh my goodness, imagine you, you move in, get all situated, it's two months, two years later, and what you paid has been reduced by the market by 50% or 30% or whatever it might be. That's kind of disheartening, particularly if it is the case, as we've discussed, here in the US and in Japan, we see 30, 40 years where that's how long it took for real estate prices to fully recover. So 
Could it happen again? I don't know. We'll talk about it, but we want to plan for the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, folks, we're going to leave it there for now. We're delighted that you could spend some time with us. We hope this was useful. We love your comments. It helps direct uh, how we uh, put our, our, our work together for the show. Uh, this is uh, John Grace and Daniel Medina at Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. We'll be right back here next Wednesday, 12 to 1 Pacific time. for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.